Hello and welcome to the Ori Clark Audio Quick Guide, a straightforward conversation about a range of topics and issues commonly handled by Ori Clark experts for their clients. My name's Dominic Frisby and joining me on today's episode are immigration and employment solicitor and partner at Ori Clark, Juliet Ori, alongside corporate and commercial solicitor and also partner at Ori Clark, Simon Walsh. And today's hot topic is immigration. And may I stress at the outset of this programme, we are here to discuss the practicalities of immigration and immigration law rather than the ethics and morals raised by this extremely sensitive subject. <laughs> so, Juliet, uh, let's, uh, let's kick off with you. My first bullet point is multiple visa options. So the UK is open for business. We are open to attracting talent and therefore there are many visa options for people to come, either set up business or work here in the UK. Okay. And I guess the advice would therefore be find out what those options are and find the right one for you. This is looking at it from the point of view of the person looking to come to the UK. Without doubt. So they should definitely plan in advance and link it to their tax advice. So in coming to the UK, most of our visas are permanent visas and it will mean that they would be resident here for tax purposes. So a bit of a plan is always helpful. Okay. Now, obviously the big thing that happened recently was Brexit and from what I read in the papers, what the principles of immigration are following Brexit are, they seem disputed, but are they clear legally and is the law clear and easy to navigate? It's clear from an immigration perspective. So once we Brexited, so up until the 31st of December 2020, we had free movement, which meant anyone from Europe could come in and live here without the need for a visa. Post that date, so post the 31st of December, you now need a visa to enter and if you wish to come and live here. And if you were here before the 31st of December as an EU national, then um, you have to, by 30th of June 2021, apply for what is known as settled status. So there's a special visa category for people that are, were in the UK before 31 December 2020, and it's called EU settlement status, and you have to apply for that. If you haven't applied for that before 30th of June 2021, then you will have to leave and you'll have to find another visa to enable you to come back into the UK. And have they made the process fairly simple or is it a it's bit of a cluster flip? no. Dom, I have to tell you, it's amazing. Really simple online portal done within literally a few moments. No fears payable. So it is really straightforward. What? I'm lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> but the scheme is in fact called the EU Settlement Scheme is what any European that is currently here and has entered before the 31st must apply for by the 30th of June. Right. Um, what is our next bullet point, Juliet? Is it right to work? Yeah. So, Don, one of the most important things that companies need to bear in mind if they're hiring here in the UK is that they have an obligation to check that an individual has a right to work in the UK. You must not take people's word for it. You must, in fact, check their documentation. So that means checking their passport. If they're not a British national, then checking what visa that they have. So that normally their BRP card, which is often where the visa is. Okay, so this is another responsibility that an employer now has. 
Yes. And how long has employers had that responsibility? Oh, for a long, long time. But what has happened in recent years is we've brought in much more of the enforcement. So if you are found, and we have had a number of clients go through this process, if you are found with an illegal worker and you haven't undertaken appropriate right to work checks, it's a £20,000 fixed penalty fine per illegal found. So a number of businesses, and it's really difficult. I have tried to get a number of clients out of these fines, and it's basically impossible, unless they have been given forged documentation. On the whole, most people are able to enter the UK as generally, if they're coming for business as business visitors, a lot of countries don't need to apply in advance. There are limited activities they're able to do. So I would suggest people take a common sense approach that if they're coming for for any period of time and deemed working, they ought to have a work visa, but you're able to come and visit. Once you decide, or those that are deciding to come and set up in the UK, there's an amazing visa that companies are able to utilize called a sole representative visa, which means you can send one of your key members of staff to the UK to expand your operation overseas to the UK and set up matters. That is a great visa and ultimately leads to settlement if the individual wanted to remain here. Gotcha. Let's talk about youth mobility. So, Dom, youth mobility is a visa that those that are aged between 18 and 30 can apply for who are citizens of Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, San Marino. And soon to be India. Indeed, Simon, indeed. So the individual can apply for that visa and enter the UK and it basically enables them to live and work for up to two years in the UK. So it used to be called a working holiday. So this is a bit like the old thing that the the Australian backpackers would all have. Or what the Australian backpackers all used to come in under. So it's now just being called a slightly more special name of Youth Mobility Visa. Okay. I have next on my list business expansion. So those that are expanding, we have discussed the sole representative visa. If they're looking at bringing in more workers from overseas and or any business that is here wanting to attract talent is likely to need to get a sponsor license. So a sponsor license is just a big word for basically approval to issue work visas. So a company applies for that license. At the moment, it's taking at least eight weeks to obtain that license. They need to be fully set up, fully set up being registered a company, have their corporation tax, their VAT, a payroll scheme, and have a UK bank account. With a high street bank rather than one of the challenger banks as well. Why do the challenger banks not have the same status? So interestingly, a lot of the challenger banks don't have banking licences, they only have e-money licences. And unfortunately, the Home Office hasn't quite caught up with what's going on in the fintech space. Okay, presumably they will. Yeah, at some point. Talent visas. So in the UK, we are content for people with talent to come. And we have created a number of visa options for those that are talented in lots of different fields from from science, art, technology, all of those things. And um, the government has been on a big drive and I think will continue to be to attract overseas talent. And there are various visa categories that people are basically able to apply. They apply to one of the institutions or associations within their category. 
um, and get what's called endorsement to then be able to apply for an actual visa. So there are visas like Global Talent, there are startup visas, and then there are innovative visas for more established businessmen who are talented and wish to come and set up that require endorsement from associations here in the UK. From a business perspective, it is pretty neat and tidy, our system. It continues to need to adapt and change. So it does continue to adapt and change on a pretty regular basis. And visas are introduced pretty quickly. But I, I think the Home Office is also very good at identifying, even in the business categories where there are loopholes. So for example, with the representative of an overseas business visa, you never really had to provide a business plan or provide too much information about the planned activities in the UK. It was just a matter of getting essentially a letter from the parent or the sponsoring company. But in reality now, you, if you're applying under that category, uh, you need to demonstrate that you've firstly got money, you've got a business plan. So there are clearly a number of changes to the rules that have come up because people have been sort of finding loopholes and working their way around. But on the whole, it's working, at least at the business level. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think there's always room for improvement. We do need quicker processing and clients are willing to pay more. I mean, for a lot of businesses, they now need to budget for immigration fees. How high are immigration fees? A few thousand pounds. So if you're applying for a license and you wish to bring your first person in, you're looking at at least £4,000 for that. Okay. And the company pays that rather than the individual or is that between them? It's between them. But usually if the company is wanting to employ somebody, they will pay the immigration fees. If an individual is driving the move to the UK, then often the individual might pay. I've got you. So I think the short of this is there are multiple options, plan ahead, but as long as you do, the, the actual bureaucratic path is fairly straightforward. Yes, and I would definitely take into account what your future plans are, because a number of our visas, if you're wanting to remain in the UK, a lot of people that have come says youth mobility then really loved the UK and want to stay. Their time here as on that visa doesn't count for time to stay here. So if they're looking at moving their families, so all our visas include an ability to bring in your partner, husband, wife, same sex, we're not bothered. They can come as well as your children. So it can be dependent under all of these visas. The exception to that though is youth mobility. You can't have any dependents, hence the name youth mobility. And once you're here and you've got one visa, if your plans change, presumably you can just apply for one of the other visas. We have become more flexible in an ability to what we call switch between visa categories. But the other thing I would point out to people is once they come here to the UK on any of these visas, they are resident for tax purposes and they should go on a UK payroll. Which is the responsibility of the company to put them on. Yeah. Um, if they're freelancers? Slightly different, but they still would be resident and they would need to be filing tax returns here. And so they should definitely plan their affairs before they come to the UK because it is much tidier to have separate bank accounts yeah. and certain things that they should do to make it not a problem in the future. 
Okay. I mean, as is always the case with freelancers as opposed to people on payroll, there's slightly more scope for non-compliance, either deliberate or accidental. But like, say it was a French national who's come here, we'd have to tell the French tax authorities that he's moving to the UK and they would have to recognise the fact that he's no longer a So my big French... tip is don't put your head in the sand. So it costs more money to unravel people's tax affairs and get them compliant and go and see the revenue about things than it does to have done it right from the start. And the taxes aren't as bad as people think they're going to be. But it, but it's a mess if you leave it and ignore it and come a year, two years later and then say, we need to file tax returns. Yeah, okay. And you need to warn your own tax authorities that you're leaving, presumably, as well. Um, in some cases, depending on what you're wanting to do. Let's talk about spouses, because there is some confusion there. Uh, yeah, interesting, Dom. Uh, having uh, left the EU, a lot of Brits who are married to EU nationals who've arrived back in the UK after the 31st of December 2020, so after uh, the end of the transition period, quite surprised to find that their European spouses do require a visa uh, if they want to continue to live and work in the UK, even though they are married. So in those situations, the individual needs to apply for what's known as a spousal visa. And uh, the individual is required to have a certain level of income. If you're in full-time employment, it's reasonably easy to meet that income level. It's much more complicated if you're retired or if you're reliant on investment income. Do you know roughly what that income level is? 18,600. Okay. So is it no longer possible to marry an Englishman and get a British, or marry a Scotsman and get a British visa? You, you would still have to apply for a visa. Correct. So if a Brit was marrying a non-British national and they wanted to bring their spouse into the UK, they would need a visa for their spouse to come and live and work in the UK. And how often does the spouse's application get rejected? The only time you see it rejected is if they don't meet the income threshold. And as I said, if the individual is in full-time employment here, it's rarely, rarely an issue. It, it's when they might be in low-income earning professions or when they're reliant on uh, mixed income, so in, from investments and that type of thing. Okay. Thank you very much, Juliet Ori. Thank you very much, Simon Walsh. And if you want to find out more about anything we've just been talking about, you can find that information in the resource library section at oriclark.com. And if you can't find what you need, then send us an email, contact at oriclark.com, and one of our experts will get back to you and tell you everything you need to know. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Dominic Frisby, and I'll be back with another of these quick guides very soon.